far? He's yeah. like Luke Skywalker in. He, oh, that's what he's doing right now. What? Guys, you know what? please don't yes, talk about great. Star Wars. That's great. No, Melody. You know what we realized? We're going to let you be you in a moment. You got to let us have our thing. Okay. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A show from your friends here at Sandals Church, where normally we're tackling tough questions with real answers. But right now, we are diving deep into the Enneagram with Pastor Matt Brown. What's up, Pastor Matt? Yeah, you actually got that intro right. I think it was close. It, uh, yeah. Mm, yeah. Thank, thank you for the uh, vote of confidence there. And we are today talking about the Enneagram Style 8, which is called the, what are we, it's strong, the... The Powerful. Challenger. Challenger, there we go. The winner. The, ch- the, the winner. Challenger. We, we all had our different names. <laughs> got, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> we've got two contenders today. Uh, pastor Adam Atchison sitting next to Pastor Matt Brown. You are campus pastor at East Valley. Do you want to say anything? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that. me. <laughs> Melody Workman, Cultivate Lead. Hello. Hey. hey. Uh, all right. Well, why don't show. you tell us where your campus is? Because East Valley does not always help. Good idea. Right. Mentone, California. Right it's on. a little unincorporated part of northeast of Redlands. You're, putting, before... you're putting the men in tone. That's right. That was later. Listen, they got an A&W root beer. Where uh, number right. one, oh, yes. they got this thing called cheese curds, which you can purchase there. Don't ever do that. <sighs> I tried it it's at actually, your recommendation, and they were horrible. It's my favorite thing about coming to visit your campus. It's on the way out of there. You buy a gallon of root beer from the tap, and you get cheese curds, and you just, oh, they're so good. That's my wife's favorite memory of, of going of, of driving on the 38 was that route, that A&W. It's been there forever. That's yeah. oh, awesome. They know how to do it right. Yeah, so if you don't know where Mentone is, it's literally right. It's basically Redlands, except if you're from Mentone, you hate that I said that, right. but it's Redlands. Yeah. So it would be what? East Redlands, northeast, yeah. northeast Redlands, uh, yeah. So right, kind of like in the, the hill, East Valley the, of Redlands, yeah. The the back, like the backside of Big Bear. That's what most, yeah, people yeah, know. yeah. Oh. Beautiful, beautiful location, great yeah. place, great campus, busting out the seams. So, uh, you're an excellent, amazing leader. And our next candidate is, hey, hey. Melody, Hello, Melody. yes. That was the weakest eight introduction ever. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <laughs> I'm super mild, and you don't have to be threatened by me at all. <laughs> That's not true. Yeah. In, fairness, in, in yeah. fairness, you did preach two times this morning, back yes. to back. So we uh, are dealing with that. Yeah. yeah, but I'm happy to be here. Super excited. Yeah. To be did here. you not sleep last night, or? Um, not the greatest. Mm, I could tell. I'm feeling it. Yeah. There's a lack of power coming from your direction. Yeah. It's coming. I can feel oh, it. Bro. Mm. Okay. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give you guys just a quick second to turbocharge your eight. Before we jump into talking about eight, we've got a quick Enneagram general question that has come in, and this is super great, mm. as a lot of people have been taking our self-discovery tests, looking at their scores. Uh, Joy wrote in with this question. What does it mean if your healthy and unhealthy scores are the same, or really close in some people's uh, Enneagram tests that I've seen? If I'm 100% healthy and 100% unhealthy with my majorly influenced Enneagram score, what does that mean for me? She said 100 both? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, first thing I would look at is what is your uh, one negative score? So go over to the one and look at your negative score. And if your one is high, I would encourage you to take the test again and don't take it. So if your unhealthy one is high, what it indicates is that you're going to answer the, t- the questions based upon how you think you should. So that's the first thing that we have to look at. So anybody who has a super high unhealthy one score, give yourself a breather when you're at a place where you feel like you can be totally honest without you know, the fear of the consequences, then I would take it again. And so you can still have an, a high unhealthy one score because if you are a one, that's a possibility. But that's the number one thing we look at to look at it. So what I would say there is, 
you know, there's there's nothing wrong with super low scores or super high scores on both. What you want to be aware of is when there's a huge gap between the healthy score and the unhealthy score in terms of this. Your unhealthy score, let's say if it was 100 and her healthy score is a 20, that 80 point gap is a, is a real problem. And so this person would need to go and work on that because that, that, that's, that means your propensity to use that gift in a negative way is overwhelming. And so that's really what you wanna look at is when you have these huge swings in point scores. So the same just means is when you use it, uh, you're going to most likely use it in a very, very positive way or in a very, very negative way. So that's what it means is you're really uh, very, very bipolar and not in terms of uh, your emotional makeup, but in terms of nobody knows what they're going to get from you in terms of your personality. So it's either they're either going to get the hammer or they're going to get a hug and they don't know. And so that's going to cause people to feel a little unsecure and, and maybe not able to be real with you because they just don't know what they're going to get. So you really, really need to look at that. The good news is you have a high, high positive score. That's great. The negative is, if, is you have a really high negative score. And so um, what, you know, when you're feeling loved, safe, secure, you're probably going to respond in a healthy way. When you're feeling unloved, unnoticed, unsecure, unsafe, right, they're going to get the hammer. And so that's what you got to look at. And again, don't be afraid of your scores. This is an invitation into who you are. And so, right, God loves you as you are. You need to love you as you are. And so here's the truth. God loves you where you are, but he doesn't want you to stay there. And so we're all going to be moving to become more Christ-like and we're all going to be changing. So all of us should have, I think if we took the score honestly, we're going to have some some negative scores. I have, uh, and I need to retake it. I haven't taken it in two years, but the last time I took it, my unhealthy uh, three was in the 90s. So, um, and so for me, uh, lying manifests itself in being completely unhonest with how I feel and what's going on in my life. I, I get so focused on being successful that I'm not aware at all of what's happening in my heart. I'm completely disconnected at winning the race, or I'm so focused on winning the race, I don't actually realize I don't enjoy the race. And that's really, really scary to dive headfirst into something and find out at the end, yeah, I don't like this, and, and that happens to me. And so that's how I, I deceive myself. I'm just not honest with how I'm feeling, how things affect me. I minimize when people hurt me or uh, people have sinned against me. I'm just not honest with that. Uh, so I, t I, I, I act like I'm pastoral, but the reality is I'm lying to myself about how, hey, that really hurt. You know, that, that, that really wounded me. That really made me doubt God, not trust you. I feel insecure. Like it, I'm a human being just like anybody else. And so I, I tend to not be honest. And so that's all it means. But it's an invitation to who you are. And it probably, if you took the test honestly, it reveals how people experience you. So... Uh, Adam or Melody, do either of you guys want to rebuke or rebut any of the things that Pastor Matt has just said? Yeah, good question. No, I, I just say it's not a snapshot in time. Right. Otherwise, it'd be a contradiction. So it's not, I'm simultaneously right. completely healthy and completely unhealthy. It's that when you're unhealthy, you are really, really unhealthy. Yeah. When, it, when you pick up that relational or personality tool, when you're, when you're healthy, you can be extremely healthy. So it's about tendency or yeah. propensity toward health and engaging that. So. Right. Boom. Well, let's jump into it. We're going to talk about eights, our challengers today. Pastor Matt, before we get into some questions from people about being an eight, as well as just some general questions uh, that we've been talking about this whole series, can you set us up, give us some context for what it means for someone to be an eight? Or yeah. So the eight is the powerful person. Uh, we've called them in our series, the challenger. And so um, the beauty of the eight is they rise up against evil. That's the beauty of it. So you think Winston Churchill, uh, rises up against Hitler. He's going to challenge Adolf Hitler. Uh, you know, Hitler actually refused on several occasions to meet with uh, 
Winston Churchill um, because I think he was intimidated by him. And Winston Churchill would call him on his racism against Jews way early, way, way early, where the rest of Europe was trying to appease him. So it's a very, very beautiful thing. Um, you said in the book, they said Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. uh, the reverend was an eight. So he stands up against um literally legalized racism in America. And he says, this is wrong. We can be better and we will not flinch. We will not move. And the beauty of his personality is as a powerful person, he did not choose power in the way that most men do, which is physical violence, but he chose it in a, in a peaceful way. So maybe he was an eight wing nine, um, but very, very beautiful, wonderful person in our history. And um, I actually think his statue in DC is one of the most impressive mm. uh, statues. And it was very, very moving because we celebrated, or I guess we didn't celebrate, but we remembered the 50th year of his assassination this past year. And so there were still flowers mm. everywhere when Tammy and I were in DC a couple weeks ago. So that's the beauty of it. Powerful, strong. They stand up for what's good, right, and true. They 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 speak up for the little guy. A couple years ago, we had a guy in our church named Mike Slagle that died in a, in a motorcycle accident. He's just big hunk of a guy. Mm -hmm. And when I first met with him, you know, I was terrified. He had a tattoo of a teardrop on his eye. He just was a scary guy. And he came to me and and here I am. So I start challenging him and I start calling him a sinner. And I'm like, I don't know if this guy's going to beat the crap out of me (laughs) or come to Christ, but here we go. And um, I'll never forget, man. He, so think of an eight, like uh, an egg. There's this hard shell that seems so tough and impenetrable. And if it hits you at a you know, good rate of speed, it's going to hurt and knock you out. <laughs> but inside that, if you can get past that shell, there's this just incredible, incredible soft spot. So, um, you know, we think about, you know, I believe Donald Trump is an eight. I don't think that he's a healthy eight, but he's an eight. And so that's the thing that's so bizarre about him is what we receive oftentimes is, right, uh, just a lot of ugliness. And that's the brokenness of the eight. But people that are close to him find him tender and compassionate and and loving. And so that's the I think the confusing part of an eight is you assume that they're hard, but the reality is, man, there's just this tenderness and this sweetness to them, um, and, and and they're both simultaneously. So when healthy, they're powerful, they stand up for the weak, um, and uh, they're, they're in touch with their emotions, and they're in touch with the feelings of others. Like, they really identify with hurts very, very well, um, and, and that's the thing that's amazing. And then they want to do something to fix it, right? They're not just going to sit in a counseling session. I'm going to, we're going to fix this. When they're unhealthy, they can become uh, against everything. Uh, they can become, un- they, they don't trust anyone, anyone's motives. They can be very, very reactive. Um, they see the world oftentimes in terms of against. Everything is coming against me. And so I've got to figure out who's my enemy and who's my friend. And not everybody is your enemy or your friend. And so that can confuse the eight because they see everything as for or against. And they see the world sometimes as a battle, like it's a battle of of good versus evil. So when they're unhealthy, right, they fight the right battles. When they're unhealthy, they follow the wrong battles. And so, um, you know, the eighth core sin is lust. Um, and so oftentimes we think of lust as simply a, a sexual acquisition uh, or a desire for sex. And so um, you need to be really, really careful about that because a lot of people, you know, men especially assume they're an eight because, oh, my core sin is lust. Well, why are you lusting? what's happening um, for that. So like when I struggle with um, lustful thoughts or lustful desires, it's usually not coming from a place of lust, it's coming from insecurity in terms of how am I achieving? What's my image look like? Am I successful? And when I feel unsuccessful in those things, right, then I turn to you know sexual desire or pleasure. And the same thing is with my seven. I run to sex or lust or in the past porn because I want to run from pain 
to, I don't want to give myself permission. And so you just got to be really, really careful when you throw that word lust for it. Lust is for power over things that are not yours. Mm. So, um, so you just got to be really careful. And so they see the world as for and against. And so an eight doesn't always, because both of these eights here today work for me. So they don't have to be in control. They just don't want to be controlled. And so you have to give eights lots of freedom. You can't micromanage them. You have to accept their strength. Uh, and I think direct it or funnel it. And you both are very, very strong leaders. Um, eight is not my primary gifting. Um, but the reason I love eights is I want to be successful. Mm. And eights, man, can get you there, right? They can make things happen. And so that's the beauty of it. So, but you have to give them a, you have to give them a lot of freedom. Man, if you if you clamp down, right, an ace, an eight is just going to buck against that system. Mm. So, but they can become um, really, really unhealthy. Um, especially eight wing nines can not take care of their bodies, run themselves down, run themselves ragged, um, because they're so focused on working and making changes and fighting for the little guy that they actually don't see themselves and take care of themselves. And so, um, one of my uh, contemporary leaders that I look up to has done extraordinary things in his life, but he's an eight wing nine and his health is awful. And I, I, I just, I'm worried he's gonna have a heart attack and die very, very young and very, very early because he doesn't take care of himself. Uh, the eight wing seven can swing massively uh, when they feel attacked or, or they don't feel seen into escapism. And so, you know, you, you gotta look and see where you are there, but you guys wanna add anything about the, the, the strengths or, or the weaknesses, the beauty, the brokenness that I forgot? No, I think that you're, right on the money. Um, I'm at eight wing seven. Um, and so I want to go, go, go. I want to build, build, build. I want to do, do, do. And then I kind of get to a place where I'm like, I'm out. Like right. you were the first person that called before I even took the Enneagram assessment. You said, I think that you're an eight wing seven. Mm. Cause you follow me on Instagram. You're yeah, like, yeah. you're in Palm Springs. Oh, you're at the beach. Oh. It's mm. like that need to just, you know, go as hard as you can and then kind of back away. Mm -hmm. um, or collapse. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to collapse, so I go to the beach. Yeah, so eights have, <laughs> eights have the most energy of any of the numbers, right? So God has placed a fire in the soul of the eight. Mm -hmm. And what I tell young eights is you will do great good in your life or you will do great evil, but you will not do nothing. That's true. It's going to be one or the other. And so if you're raising a little eight, you want to direct that energy towards God. You want to direct that energy toward you know what God's doing because... Um, they are a powerful person. That is how God has made them. And um, you need powerful people. Like I said, you know, Winston Churchill, and I know a lot of people don't know their history, but how he spoke against literally the greatest army the world had ever seen. And, and there was no hope. But he says, we will fight you, right? We will fight you in the air. We will fight you on the land. We will fight you on the sea. We'll fight you in the streets. We will fight you in the trenches. We will never, ever surrender. Mm -hmm. You know, and, right, right, let's go. <laughs> and he galvanized the nation. And ultimately he inspired the American president to join. So, uh, and a lot of people don't realize that, but in the Lord of the Rings, in every book that Tolkien writes, there's an animal that comes to the rescue. Mm. In every book, do you know what it is? It's the eagle. In every book. And who is that? It's the Americans. Wow. In every book. The eagles come in right at the last moment to save the day. And, um, you know, it's a lot of people miss that imagery, but without the without America, so we, we focus a lot in our navel gazing on the evils of America, and there are plenty. The reality is you just don't know other countries' evils. Yes. <laughs> and they, they make ours look like JV. But we've had, <laughs> we've had some ugly stuff here. But the reality is without America, the world would be in a fascist dictatorship. You know, you think about North Korea, you think about, um, 
I forgot what percentage of their population is incarcerated forever. For I mean, it's like you're locked up forever, and it can be from anything of picking up a piece of trash or or whatever. It's just horrendous, and there's no no right to counsel, no right to free speech, and if you complain about it, your whole family is thrown into jail. It's just horrendous. And uh, I mean, I, I forget what percentage of the country's land is dedicated to concentration camps. This is today, as we speak. Um, so, and that's the kind of stuff, you know, where Adolf Hitler is deciding, you know, you are this race and he killed homosexuals, he killed Jews, he killed Christians, he killed any dissenters, anybody that got in their way, they just killed and annihilated and believed, this is important, my liberal friends, believed that because of evolution, they were superior. It was not God. You don't need God to be evil. You just need evil to be evil. So, so you need to be able to stand up against that. And the eight says, you know, you, you will not pass. I mean, David, King David has a little bit of that in that. Who is this? I love this. And, you know, we, we talked about this in my sermon on the sevens, but, he, you know, he brings the penis into it. Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? You know, he's talking some smack. A lot of people don't realize that, but that's smack talk. Jersey right there. <laughs> that's Jersey. You know, look at this guy's wiener. We can take him. Come on. Right? Okay, you guys, you don't, you don't read your Bibles, man. Yeah. I mean, he shows up. Yeah, I, I would just say, uh, coming back to the core sin for just a second, the lust uh, thing, just like with the sevens, the core sin is gluttony, and that doesn't necessarily mean food. Right. right? A gluttony for experience that uh, lust is typically a sexualized word, and, right. and it can certainly take that form. But uh, the alternative, more more broad understanding of it, I think is intensity yeah. or hyper-focused. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, throughout my, my life, I, I've gotten stuck on mastering something, mm -hmm. right? Like bass fishing. Um, I loved to bass fish forever mm -hmm. until I figured out how to do it because initially it's like, it's not easy to catch, like there's a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I was like locked in, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I'd, you know, I'd spend time away from my family and mm -hmm. a, a day fishing on the lake is a whole day ordeal, right? And I, like a lot of my time and energy is, is so uh, lust can take on a number of forms that aren't sexual. So I just, I just wanted to- But not that. only that, I mean, here's what's funny about both of you is you're both vertically challenged people. Right. right, and you're both extraordinarily powerful. It has no, it has nothing to do right with the size of the dog, but but the heart of the dog in the fight, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. you guys. And you know, uh, if you know Adam, man, he is a fireball dude. He gets fired up, and I mean quickly. And if you know Melody, man, her favorite thing to say is hold my earrings, right? She's <laughs> she takes her earrings off. She doesn't want to lose those, but she's gonna knock you out. And uh, you know, she's one of my wife's best friends because whenever somebody hurts Tammy's feelings. Melly just says they're dead to me. They're dead to me, they're, and maybe in real life. Yeah, in real life. So, yeah. So eights <laughs> are eights are your best friends, and so man, I, I forgot the story about Mike. I, I didn't finish that. Mm. Sorry about that. But at Mike's funeral when he died, here's this big powerful guy. There were so many stories that I just I found so moving, and the one that touched me the most was this kid who said I was bullied all through high school, and I thought about taking my own life. And one day when I was being bullied, Mike beat up all of my bulliers wow. and said, if you do it again, you're going to face me. And mm. he said, they never did it again. And he said, I found self-worth in Mike. Wow. And, and wow. I, you know, yeah. I mean, what a story, right? I mean, here he is 12 years later and this kid that hasn't seen him since high school came to the funeral and he said, this guy rescued me because eights when healthy can stand up for injustice because they care about the little guy. Mm. They, they care about Look, man, these people matter and they have a voice. And so when they're healthy, they're protectors. When they're unhealthy, they can be dictators. Mm -hmm. And so, right, it's gonna be one or the other. And um, 
You know, I don't know what Adolf Hitler was, but imagine if he was a champion for good. Yeah. Right. Ima imagine if he had rallied Europe to, to revival and to Christianity and to doing the right thing and to say, hey, we were wrong in World War I and we've learned our lessons. But instead he rallied them to just evil. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it was dark, 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 dark. So any other thoughts? Yeah, I'm wondering what is championing uh, the good of others or the needs of others look like in your life? How do you, how do you feel like that plays out as a, a motivator? Like is that something you walk around thinking about or caring for? Yeah, I mean I think it's more in the moment for me. One of the stories that I remembered as I realized that I was an eight was uh, early 20s. My sister's driving a two-door Honda Accord coupe. And she gets into, and my dad's in the front seat, so I'm in the back. And she gets into this little fender bender. and You fit nicely back there? Yep, yep, real real small, vertically challenged. Thanks for reminding me of that once again. Um, <laughs> Look at him, he's turning red. Yeah, I'm already red, yeah. brother. Um, but, uh, Don't fight. <laughs> right. That's the Irish. So so she gets into this fender bender, and it's, it's like these dudes get out, and there's like three of them, and they're pretty hardcore looking. They're all tatted up. And I just assume intuitively, like, my dad's going to get out of the car with my sister. And like approach the guys with mm. her. And I was like, dad, are you getting out? He's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I was like, get out. I'm going with her if you're not. Mm. Like, and I was so ticked off at my dad. Like, yeah. what? Like, mm. this is your young, pretty, you know, blonde daughter who's about to go approach this, these guys by herself. Like, yeah. you know, and so um, it's, it's those kind of moments, I think, that, yeah. that happen that are like just immediate. Like, the, it's just reactionary in a way, yeah. but for good in that case. But. Yeah. No, I was... I can totally relate to that. When I was in middle school, um, my brother was being bullied. He's a year older. Um, and this group of boys had just kind of singled him out. Mm. And he was every day. And um, he would come home and talk about it. And, you know, I would get worked up. And so I remember one day the hallways are filled with students. And I look down the hallway and I see my brother just trying to walk, like, down the hallway, just minding his business. And this four or five boys are just taunting him around mm. him, like calling and I just screamed at the top of my lungs, you better walk away from him right now. Mm. And in that moment, like, I don't know what I'm going to do next, right. but all I know is you're going to stop doing what you're doing mm -hmm. or I'm going to do something about it. Because I'm not big, but I have big friends. <laughs> my <laughs> yeah. mom used to say, you had a big mouth, you better marry somebody big. <laughs> Check. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that just that inside of that is not okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do whatever I can yep. do in my power to right the wrong. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Another really powerful one, just real quickly uh, in college, we went to Tibet and we were prepared with all the cultural oppression of politically of the Chinese over the Tibetans. And um, it was toward the end of our trip. And we were just aware of that. It's mostly beneath the surface. I mean, there's not a lot of like, like they're pretty peaceful people, the Tibetans. And yeah. so, I mean, you know, you don't really see it, but you know, it's beneath the surface and I'll never forget walking by. And I don't know what the backstory was, but there were a couple of Chinese police just beating a Tibetan woman. Ugh. And with this, like, without even thinking, like I'm whoop, like across, yeah. I'm crossing the street and our male leader comes and grabs me and restrains me in the moment he did the right thing. Cause I could still be in jail in China right, right now. Right. Um, and I was so, I had to work through a lot of rage at him stopping me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but I, it was just like, again, I don't have a plan, but I'll get in the way, right? right like just exactly. look, you can break me in half. I'm a little guy. Right. Mm -hmm. But at least you're not going to be beating her. Like, yeah. you know, so, um, that was another really powerful one where I th think it brings out that like protector role. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, just real quick, um, for those of you who are listening, you don't even realize how Christianity has influenced you, even if you're not a Christian. The difference between us and China is we take for granted in America that people have value. Mm. 
that is a uniquely Judeo-Christian ideal that whether you're a Christian or not has influenced your life. In countries like China, where literally religion is illegal. Mm. Like, so in America, we're taught that, you know, all these wars have been fought in the name of religion. In China, man, it's illegal. You believe in the state, the state gave you birth, the state, the state, and they can beat you because the state is God. Um, and it's just it's just crazy to step into those cultures where, you know, justice is nowhere to be seen. And uh, I mean, that's the beauty of the eight. You know, you think of Micah six eight. What does the Lord require of you to love justice and mercy? And the eight reflects that. You know, the challenge is going to be walking humbly with God, but sure. right. But <laughs> but justice and mercy, and to exact that. And um, you know, so the eight has to remember that you know they can be the justice of God. But James says the brother of Jesus. Uh, that human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. And so the eight has to be very, very careful that they don't become judge, jury, and executioner right. because they can be. And, um, you know, again, the eight operates in the gut triad. So they go with instinct. And here's the beauty is they're usually right. Thank you. The, okay, the problem is <laughs> when they're wrong, it's hard to back an eight off instinct, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like, I don't want it. it's like training an animal to to say no to like what what like my dog chases if you run right do you hear about the mountain lion that killed that guy in Seattle this week or last oh week so I'm deathly so there were, of cats. There, were, there were two bicyclists okay two bicyclists one guy died you know what he did he ran so running triggers the instinct of the cat to chase sure so that's the one thing you don't do is run. You stand your ground and you look as big as possible because that's a foe running your prey. And um, so that's the thing with instinct. If you're in the eight, nine, or one triad, you're gonna go with your gut, um, right? And so instincts serve you well until they don't. And um, man, you know, so you just gotta be really, really careful. Um, you know, I love when, when Donald Trump ran for president. It's just funny. I'm gonna make America great again. How are you gonna do that? This is going to make it great. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, he didn't have a plan. He has an instinct yeah. of what he's going to do to make it work. And I, I've never seen a presidential election like that. I mean, usually, right, they bore us with, here's all the, you're like, oh God. But he's just like, we're just going to do it. Buy a hat, you know, <laughs> move yeah. on. And so, um, but, you know, and, and again, watch him when he's right, he's right. But he has a, he doesn't have a hard time. I don't think he sees when he's wrong. And that's what happens when you're instinctual is you have a hard time with feedback you have a hard time with pushback. And so you've got to open yourself up to people that you know, love, and trust that can speak into your life. And just so you know, if you're an eight, it's hard to speak into your life. You are a challenger. It's hard to challenge the challenger. So, and I, But I think the thing that's really surprising, and I, and I would say this to everyone who has to relate to an eight, um, is that we enjoy, we value, we respect when you give it to yeah. us straight. Yep. So one of the first things is I, I was surprised. I thought it was a seven. That was my second highest score um, when I first got my results. And as they were working through it, the one thing that was like, yep, like it was they appreciate directness yes. and clarity. Yes. And so growing up, like I, I remember uh, growing up in a family system like most of ours where there's an elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. And uh, whatever that was, you know, yeah, and you just don't talk it, about it. And, it. and it's like, I'm, hey, there's an elephant. I'm ready to talk about it. You know, it. it stinks. I can see your face contorting. Like, yeah. you don't want to acknowledge it, but we could all live a lot better if we just talked about the elephant and mm-hmm. figured a way to get him out of the room, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, like, to, to give it to a straight, and that's, that's, I've recognized part of my growth process is that a lot of people don't work that way because they're not Nate. 
Um, and so, um, but, but I appreciate it when it's like, Hey, you want to be my friend? No. Sweet. Okay, cool. <laughs> yes. Like, I love it. I'll move on. Right. Like, well, that's the thing. We value truth. Yeah. Oh. So I think if you're in relationship with an eight, one, um, if they trust you, that's a really big deal because mm-hmm. trust can be hard for eights again, because are you for me or against me? Yeah. Right. Um, so if they believe they're convinced that you're for them, mm-hmm. then they're like, bring me truth. Mm-hmm. Like, give me direct truth because I can receive it from you mm-hmm. because I know that you're for yeah, me. Yeah. Those two things go like hand in hand. Mm. My, my boss is an eight and I've had experiences where we'll be talking to each other, like, psh, 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 like right between the eyes. And it like, you can see people, I have to pay attention, yeah. like that people, other people are uncomfortable because they're thinking, man, are they're. Are they like dishonoring each other? Yeah. Is this like a fight going down? And we're totally good. Yeah. Like we're, this is just how we operate. You know? Yeah. Eights are okay with a little blood. Yeah. It's okay. Like, right. We, we scrapped, there's a little blood in the water, but Hey, I know where you are. You know where I am. And we move forward. And yeah. that makes a lot of other people uncomfortable. And again, please, if you, if you know someone that's eight, hear what they're saying, be direct, be clear. So my wife has a hard time relating to eights, which is funny because she's one of your best friends. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, um, I just always tell her, you need to be declarative. You need to declare and you have to, right, position yourself and you say, hey, this is how I feel. And a lot of times they'll go, oh, and then there's, but you need to, you can't provide any like wishy-washiness. Just just declare and say, this is what I think and this is what we need to do. And you will get along with an eight much better. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? <clears throat> Actually about both of you guys as strong eights, I perceive that you both act you, let's let's just talk about your roles on staff here at Sandals Church, leading Cultivate, leading East Valley. I perceive that both of you act with a lot of humility in terms of others that are around you. I don't know. You can speak if that's true or not. <laughs> I guess you guys can. I don't, is that something that you're intentional about? Or do you have to be like, like if somebody hands something to you and, and says, this is how it's going to be, how, how do you handle that? Yeah, I mean, I think it it sandals in a large organization that's a movement that's bigger than any of us. Eights have to learn how to be interdependent. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially at the campus level, um, a lot of our vision and strategy comes from what we call network roles. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the times it is being, in a sense, like told what to do, right? Hey, yeah. here's the plan. Here's what we're doing. Now, you know, plan it out, execute it well. And so having to get over, um, you know, having to, Ed, don't tell me what to do, that yeah. kind of idea. There's certain humility in that. Um, but if I want to be effective as a leader, I can't, I can't bulldoze. I can't steamroll. Like that's just not effective. And so pragmatically there's, there's a decent amount of filtering that goes on. Like, and sometimes it's hard because I, I feel like we could go a lot faster and get a lot more done if we did, if I like didn't have to filter and slow down and yeah. deal with emotions and all that. But, um, mm-hmm. but that's, you know, we're, we're humans and we're, that's, yeah. Well, hopefully you don't have to feel like you have to do that with me, but with your team, especially when you're an eight and you're a leader and you're leading a team, not everyone is going to be as strong as you. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, most people are not. So it takes an extraordinary person to be able to handle your directness. And so so you can be as direct as you want with an eight. Eights have to be very sensitive to how direct they are with others because it can crush people. Um, and, and, and that's just, just so, so important. Here's the thing is if you're an eight... Um, um, because there aren't a lot of eights in big churches. And and I think the reason for that is they gravitate towards smaller churches where mm. they have more power and that's unhealthy. Mm. Here's the thing, if you're an eight, the kingdom of God is bigger and more important than your role. And and you just have to realize that. I know he, he's- I, I'm so the king, to do the kingdom that. Of, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> the kingdom of God is bigger and more important than your role. And when you understand that, right, all of us, regardless of our number, are subservient to Jesus and in and, and who he is. And so when I'm a part of a big movement, I can have a smaller role. And I think that's 
you know, how, you know, Melody could go past her own church and in many denominations and you, you could go do your own thing well. I mean, you're a great leader, great communicator. They've chosen to be a part of Sandals, I think, because you genuinely love it here. Uh, and you believe God is doing something, right? Amen. So eights want to do something. They don't want to. They don't want to lose their life or or waste their life. Um, we're going to talk next week about the nine and status quo. That's where the nine lives. The eight hates the Amen. status Maintaining quo. Ma- don't maintain. We're breaking ground. We're taking ground. You know, we just hired an eight. Um, and the first thing I said, "Why do you want to come to Sandals?" Because he was at another very very successful church, and he said these words. He said, the kingdom of God was meant to take ground mm. and you're taking ground, right? We are we are active. We are on the offense. We're mm. not just playing defense. We're not circling the wagons, man. We're going to the gates of hell. And that's what, you know, inspires the eight. Uh, you know, the sixers are like, we're gonna die. And the nines are like, well, maybe, you know, but the eights are like, come on, let's go, baby. Yeah. You know, let's go, let's take this hill. And if we die, we die glorious. You know, I love the great eight movie is the gladiator. You know, yes. what we do in life, right? They both, I'm getting amens. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Yep. That doesn't motivate my wife at all. Like my, like my, my wife's like, but they have swords over there, you know. I mean, you know, and I'm like, I'm gonna freaking die naked over here. Let's go, you know. That's my seven. You know, come on, let's take the hill. And it just right, it just motivates you uh, to greatness. Um, you know, uh, that's what eights do. You know, think about George Washington when I was in D.C. Uh, probably America's greatest general. I mean, there's no one even close. Back in the day when generals used to lead the charge, mm-hmm. you think about that. Now they make decisions, you know, in a sure. bunker. Back then they used to lead a charge. And I read this quote um, when they were losing a battle and, and the British were were better, stronger, faster, more equipped, more organized. I mean, right, a bunch of country bumpkins fighting the greatest army on earth and they were losing. And um, there's a scene in The Patriot that that mimics it where he rides the horse or he takes the flag. Well, that's actually George Washington that did that. And there's a great quote of a 16-year-old boy fighting for the revolutionary cause. He says, in that moment, I saw my leader, my general. I saw his courage and I could not help but to not think of myself. Mm. It's this great quote about bullets flying all around, people are dying, they're losing. And George Washington goes to the front and he says, follow me. Mm. And it right and it turned the tide and they won that battle. And it's just an incredible, incredible story of George Washington's greatness. And and here's the beauty of a healthy eight. A lot of people don't know this because we don't teach American history, but George Washington had all power. He's the only leader in American history to have all power. He had all authority over finance, he had all authority over the military, he had all authority over the 13 colonies. He was king. And when you go into the Capitol building, there's a gigantic painting where he's handing that authority back. Mm. He's handing that authority back. And just so you guys know, the Americans tried to make him king. And he said, no. That is, he said, we did not die. We died for liberty, right? That all could be free. Yeah. And um, it's just amazing. When you go to the Capitol building, a lot of people don't know this. There's a crypt in the bottom, the very center of the Capitol. It's a crypt, but it's empty. There's a reason it's called Washington, D.C. That was to be his tomb. Think about that. But he said, I, I don't want to be born there. And the family said, he will not be born. It's empty. So now when like Billy Graham just died, you lie in state, you lie on top of that empty tomb. Hmm. Uh, for him, it was about liberty. It was about freedom. And, um, you know, I think about, you know, just great Americans. And, and you think about the need for that. A lot of people don't realize this, but one third of the signers of the Declaration of Independence are pastors. Mm. Give me liberty or give me death, right? One third of them. 
And uh, there's a great statue in there. You just think of the eights, the great pastors, you know, in, in colonial America, and it's a guy disrobing. So he's taking off his, re- his uh, reverend robe mm. and underneath it is a military uniform. Mm. And he calls the men of his congregation, we have to fight for religious freedom. Mm. I mean, that's his sermon. Yeah. And, it's, uh, and he preached when Joshua asked for the sun, that was his sermon. You to know, stop. Yeah. to stop so that we can we can keep ourselves free, and it's just right. It's just beautiful, and 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 those are great people in our lives. Um, you know that just do extraordinary things. And uh, you think about the Seventh Day Christian. What's that movie that just came out? Um, the young man. Um, he's just ridiculed, put down, made fun of. He won't fight, mm. but he's strong. It won an Academy Award. It's Mel Gibson's latest film. Anyways, he's an eight, right? I'm not I am, five. I don't know. I am, oh my gosh, that that <laughs> movie, that we're, movie. We're busy doing stuff. You know, he saved like I forget what it was. Time he saved movies. like forty-two soldiers. Wow. Oh, the was it the hacksaw movie? Hacksaw yes. Ridge. There yeah, I mean, there that's how bad the battle was. They called it hacksaw. Think of what a hacksaw does to your ridge. And he went up and he saved all these people mm. because he just was a powerful person. Uh, and he challenged the status quo. I can be in the military and not shoot a gun. He's still strong, still strong. I mean, that man, that movie, you want to see a great movie. I mean, if you can handle guts, but whew. Those are my favorite kinds of movies, though. Gladiator, The Patriot. Braveheart. Like, yeah. Oh, just Braveheart. Scotland was the underdog, warriors, right? You know? Yeah. Rocky. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. So so if you have an eight in your life, you got to get used to uh, movies where people bleed. <laughs> so, <right. laughs> but if you're married to a female eight, you don't have to go see corny love movies. Yes. There you oh, go. my gosh. So that's a win. The greatest moment in my life with my dad was seeing Rocky... Which more he fights the Russian? Four. Rocky four. Rocky four. And I'll never forget, I was 14 years old and Rocky knocks out that Russian and I came out of my seat. Yes. And, oh my gosh. He says, Drago says, I must break I you. I must break you. And he says, go for it. Go for it. Bring it on. <laughs> go for it. We got Kenny G on our side. <laughs> Wait, no, who who did all the music to that? Wasn't I don't know. Kenny just G. I the Tiger was the. Oh, yeah. Well, that know. was a band, but the, most of us this keyboard band from the 80s. I forget who they were. All right. Uh, maybe we'll put that in the show notes. All right, you guys, we have so many questions that came in from the eights in our church. We need to get to those. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from Amanda. I'm a high eight, high three, high one. In the Whoa. past, Pastor Matt has referred to the eight and the three as people you might need to wear a helmet around. Amen. Almost as if someone like myself is scary or automatically too much to handle. Mm-hmm. How can you be driven, strong, and detailed without being scary? Yeah, you can't. You're you're a powerful person. So if you're an eight, three, one, right, you're two in the gut triad. So you're you're... You're a strong person. You have a strong drive to succeed, and you're going to do what's right. So get, you're going to knock people over. And here's the thing: is not everybody wants to be success, successful. Not everybody wants to work hard. Not everybody. I mean, that's the great right wake up call that America needs. You know, it's not our job to take care of all of your needs. Get off your butt. That's why I tell: if I could ever be the leader of education, we don't teach our kids. One day we expect you to get a job take care of yourself, make enough money so we can educate the generation behind you. We don't ever tell the kids that, you know, follow your dreams, go to, right? It's just crazy. So um, not everybody's gonna work as hard as you. So you've gotta get in an organization that values leadership, that cares about making a difference and doing positive things. And you want to be a part of that. Um, You know, it's one of the reasons why I don't do anything with my denomination, Southern Baptist Convention. I just don't feel like they want want to maintain the status quo. They don't want to do anything different. They're not interested in change. All right, I'm going to go do my own thing, you know, and I still identify with them in many, many ways, love my heritage, care about their passion for missions. But man, let's get some crap done. Let's let's do something for Christ, man. And, And so just know, I hear all the time, I'm intimidating, I'm... 
uh, what, what are you guys here? I'm intimidating. I, I aggressive. Aggressive. Mm. Uh, you know, um, my wife does this thing where underneath the tables, I, I can't do it to you, but she just puts her foot on my mm. on my calf when I'm just like, bah, 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 and I just get fired up, man. And I, you know, um, it's funny, you know, when we had Mark Driscoll out here for the first time, I, I could feel us both were in the room and it's just kind of this, you know, like <laughs> who's, you know, it's it, it was crazy, man. And I didn't mean to do it, but we're like sizing each other up. Do we fight or, oh, okay, we're on the same team. It's a real thing, man. Yeah. And I'm looking at the size of his neck and I'm like, okay, but I'm quicker, yeah. you know? So, you know, so just know that, okay, part of the Enneagram is to help you to see how people receive you. Yeah. And that's that's our big areas of blindness. So what the eight will say is, but my intention was, okay, but here's how people, everybody in the room got ran over by what you said. So you, you, you've got to, um, you know, as a three, eight, one, you're going to have a hard time listening to others hearing what others have to say, you know, and, and, and getting that out of them. Eight, if you're eight, three, man, you already know in your heart what you want to do and in your gut, and you don't really care what everyone else wants to do. You know what's right. And so that makes a challenge because people don't always agree with what you think is right. And I learned that the hard way in marriage. I'm like, oh, Tammy doesn't think exactly right. like me. So, so just know, I mean, you guys are you guys are kind of a bull in a china shop. So talk to me. Yeah, what I would say Does is, people know what a china shop is. Sure, I know what you mean. Dishes. Yeah, they can Google it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what what I would say is that the glass section. Th- of this best, is, or of, they uh, can Google it. Is like a so eight thing to say. By the way, <laughs> yeah. They, We're moving uh, on. This is what I would say to all the numbers. Like, and this is the one thing is I've heard people processing it. There is a distinction between excuse and explanation. Right. These numbers. I don't are even not, know what that means yet, but there is not an. Th- these aren't excuses to, to be people. a certain way. Mm-hmm. This is an okay. explanation okay. for h- how sort of your your natural disposition. And so, if I'm an eight, it's it's not okay for me to be a jerk. Yeah. Right. right? The, the the process the the big, the big fancy word is spiritual formation, being formed by the Spirit of God to be more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. The fruits of the Spirit are kindness gentleness there i mean there's a long list right yeah yeah um but nine, nine but, actually but yeah, yeah yep nine um but for the eight there are going to be some challenges the spirit's going to have to do some real work um to take the edge off a little bit so i don't think that um it, it's it's necessarily the case that be, because you're an eight you're you can't be humble or you can't be kind or you can't lead well you can't step back and empower others to do to take the hill you know yeah there's i have two eights in our small group and uh one of them eric shared I think three weeks ago, he has to work full time to perceive how people are receiving him. Mm. He's scary. Like my kids are, I'm like, why are you scared of him? And he's scary, dad. I'm like, so that's how people perceive him. He's one of the best people I know. Yep. Yeah. Like he's loving and kind. He's probably, I think he's an 851. Mm. Those are would be his highest. Yeah, yeah, um, so when he speaks, man, I mean, it's just, it's just powerful and it's overwhelming, but I, you know, I love it. He'll tell Tammy, he's like, Tammy Brown, that is not true. And he just like, I mean, he just like runs over her and I'm like, man, I've been, and I can't say that, but I want to, um, you know, cause husbands, that's a whole nother Enneagram thing, but people receive him as cruel and mean and scary. And he is none of those things, but he is powerful. Yeah. And so uh, if, if you're an eight, what you need to learn is you got to size people up and distinguish how do I need to treat this person? You don't treat, you, you need to be loving in all situations, but love I looks differently. I didn't make a joke. 
What? About sizing people up. I oh. thought Melody was waiting for the short show. Okay, no. just so you know, every, in every place, eights are immediately sizing people up. Who is the most powerful person in the room? Who's getting stuff done? Where do I rank? How do I figure out? How do I fit in this, you know? Um, that's just that's just how they see the world. They see the world through the lens of strength, and, and that's good. But you have to be willing to say, okay, if, if I want to do good, right, which is what God's called us to do, I need to practice meekness, which is power under control. And that, and that's really, you know, Jesus, right, he doesn't run over people unless they need to be run over. Mm-hmm. And some people, they need all the tires on their chest. You know, and you back up and you do it again just so that they remember the event. Um, you know, and I mean, sometimes with my kids, I have to be an eight. My classic saying, I say to my children, we're going to make a memory today. <laughs> <laughs> it's never a good memory, right? It's never a good memory. But you know, dad, dad has some eight, and um, so I think ahead. I think too um, the eight three um, combination, which three is my second highest um, enneagram score too, is congratulations. Um, thank you. Um, is remembering that you'll never have as much fun accomplishing what you're doing alone that you will in doing it as a team. Yeah. So if you can learn to see people and value them and affirm them. Um, along whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, you will have so much more enjoyment. Yeah, Yeah, you might have gotten it done yesterday, but then you're at the top of the hill by yourself. When you can link arms and say, look at what we did, Mm -hmm. there's so much satisfaction in that. And that's really because Mm -hmm. we're doing something for the kingdom of God. We're not building something for ourselves. So to do it together um, just creates incredible synergy on your team. Um, And that, that comes from, years of people saying to me, you're so bossy. And I was like, no, just my ideas are better than yours. Um, But to realize that people, that valuing people along the way, there's so much more joy when you accomplish the goal if you do it together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you just, again, relating to an eight, you have to stand your ground, push back and be declarative. And so, um, you know, and if you're an eight, don't get unhealthy because you can do great things at the expense of people that you love. And so, um, you know, it's, you know, who cares if Sandals plants 500 churches and is the biggest church in the history of the world, but I'm divorced and I, and my kids don't love me and don't yeah. go to heaven. That, that's a lose, lose, lose. And, you know, I, I one of somebody that I respect and care for, and they've done great things, but they're a strong eight leader. Um, some of their staff was getting, um, I, I think a little overburdened. And we have that from time to time at Sandals, right? We're, we're going, um, I tell staff, if you don't want to change the world, don't work here. Like you're at the wrong, this is the wrong place for you. Um, I know he's, he doesn't want to change the world. So, um, I'm just going to give the bell to the eights over yeah, there. Yeah, jeez. Is this it's the a, first episode where we fought over the bell? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, well, right, the eights want control of the bell. Um, so this is what he told his staff. So the staff is, they're struggling, they're feeling overwhelmed. And he, this is what he said. If you don't want to work here, there's plenty of people to take your place. And I thought, what a great moment to inspire and what he did is is he deflated yeah. and and that is an unhealthy eight yeah. who solely sees the goal and right it's like melody said you want to get there with people not by yourself because if you get there by yourself you didn't win yeah and that's what the unhealthy eight doesn't they can become clueless as to how they're impacting people that are depending upon them to be the protector and to be the leader and I think there's a tension for all for eights and threes. You said that the helmet, yeah, wear helmets with us because we have a goal, but we have to make sure that we're we're paying attention to the bodies of the people that are dropping around us. And a lot of times, eights and threes don't see the corpses of all the dead people that were left behind in, in their achievement, mm-hmm. and um, and that's tragic. So we want to push people and motivate people to do great things, 
but not at the expense of their lives. Yep. So, um, you know, you just really, really got to balance that. And you got to see people and understand not everybody's wired the same way you are. You know, um, eights and nines run at different paces. They just do. Okay, so here is Samuel's question. Ooh, Samuel. My two highest scores were eight and nine. Mm-hmm. What do I make? How do I make sense of that? How can I be in pursuit of vulnerability and tenderness with others as a healthy eight while also being in pursuit of embracing conflict as a healthy nine? Okay, so here's how I've experienced unhealthy eight nines. Unhealthy eight nines historically that I've experienced drive everyone else into the dirt with their commands but are personally lazy. So they're calling people to do something that they do not do themselves. That's that's a pretty unhealthy eight nine combo. Um, so they will literally beat people into the ground with all the things they should be doing, but the nine in them doesn't do it themselves. They're personally undisciplined. They're personally lazy. Their personal life is, you know, is not in control. So just understand there's a, there's a, there's a push pull there. There's a tension. Uh, part of you is driven, wants to be powerful, and part of you wants to take a nap and eat and check out. And so, so here's how people will experience you: is they're going to experience both. They're going to experience that that tension. He said he's high eight, high nine, right? Mm-hmm. Two highest scores. Yeah, th- that's a tension within you. So that's part of being real with yourself: is um, you ha- you're being pulled in two different directions. Um, you know, the, the nine in you is trying to avoid conflict at all costs and the eight is causing it. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? So the eight picks the fight and the nine's like, why can't we get along? And so just understand that that makes you complex and difficult to engage. And so um, so just understand that. Yeah, I mean, maybe what's coming out in the eight, nine is you're gonna you're gonna charge hard, but after, after a hard fought battle, you usually retreat, you know, and you check out. And so um, maybe that's, part of what's being played out there or, um, or, or, you know, emotional vulnerability feels like conflict, like it's going to create conflict. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the eight, the, the, the movement of, of health toward the eight, which I appreciate, uh, this, this question asker, I forgot the name. Samuel. Samuel, um, asked is, is at least recognizing that emotional vulnerability is the movement toward health for the eight. And a lot of people feel like as soon as I'm expressing my own emotions, that's like going to create some sort of like, it's going to rock the boat in some way. And the nine is going to not help with that. And yeah. If so if you're an eight, your second highest number is going to dictate how you retreat. So you eights are going to say they never retreat, but every, right. Nobody can go all the time. So the eight overgoes, right? Go, 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 go. And then when you're maxed out, your next highest number is going to tell you how you're going to retreat. So, um, you know, so Donald Trump's an easy eight to pick on. So I don't know if he's an eight, seven or eight, nine, but either way, you know, probably an eight, nine, because he doesn't exercise. He eats McDonald's. I mean, the guy, sorry, I know we have McDonald's owners that listen, we love McDonald's. I love McDonald's. You know, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. You know, he drinks, was it Pepsi all day long? I don't know what it Coke. is. Um, you know, but he doesn't drink alcohol. So that, I, that's what I can't figure out in him is, um, but he, he is impulsive. So that might be the seven. You don't seven. think he's an eight wing seven with some of his yeah. past yeah, history yeah. behavior? Yeah. Yeah. But I, go ahead. But, but typically eights will go a hundred percent, um, you know, at the workplace. Seven, by the way. I like and, then the, and then the nine will completely veg out at home. Yeah. So the nine will turn it off at home. Yeah. So they've left it all in the line at work and they come home and they don't have anything left for the family. So. Yeah, so the way I retreat is my seven, is my second highest score, yeah. not just my wing, but my second highest. And so it's funny because for us at the church, most of us, our work week starts on a Sunday, I know. right? And it's it's the heaviest day of the week and you're going and that's the first, that's our Monday. Yeah. 
And so when I get to Thursday afternoon, Thursday afternoons for me at our standing meetings at Hunter Park, usually the rest of the time yeah. I'm at East Valley. Thursday afternoons, you'll see my seven. I'm like, <laughs> like yeah. whatever the serious yes. meeting is, it's like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm delirious. I'm like sermon prep time. We were just having yeah. a sermon prep time for our Father's Day sermon. And it was just, I was nuts. I was all over the place yeah. and <laughs> scattered and... So, because I'm done and I'm, I got to retreat and I'm going to do that in a silly way. Mm-hmm. So, I have zero nine, so I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, here, here, What's here. Your, it's three. Hmm. It's a eight wing seven, and my next size is What's your three. seven score? Uh, 89. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, you're going to escape. You're going to go somewhere. So, the beach to the Palm Springs, right? You're going to, so you're going to lead hard and then party hard. Yeah. Thank God you're a Christian. <laughs> right. And I love my husband. Yes, amen. <laughs> there you go. Okay, speaking Otherwise, of this, Vegas is calling. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> the core sin of the eight is lust. How does that tend to come out for you guys? Well, my husband wishes it came out. The yeah. Same oh, yeah. He's like, yeah. dang it. There you go. I yeah. rang my own bell there. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's a power. It definitely Maybe you need to ring his bell. <laughs> so, sorry. Okay. Um, I just got real. Bring him back in. No, I can't <laughs> ring it anymore. No. Yeah, there you go. That's fine. That means I won. <laughs> Don't right. even um, I defer. It's, a, it's definitely the power thing. Um, and I don't know if this probably does stem from my childhood of, of being in a fundamentalist, legalistic environment. Okay, and you have to explain to our audience what that is. Fundamentalist is just an extremely strict, um, tight way of doing everything. Would like, you call it like a Muslim kind of ish? <laughs> ish yeah. like I like to say the skirts were long, the Bibles were big, and the music was boring. Yes. That was kind of how I summed it up. Yeah. Um, and so me being who I was in that setting was horrible mm. because I just always felt like I don't belong, but then I would try really hard to belong. When I first took the Enneagram, my unhealthy one was really high. Mm. Um, it's gone down a lot, which I am celebrating. Um, but You are less inclined to do the right thing. That's <laughs> yes. good. <Okay>. Well, <laughs> not because I feel like, because I should. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so... The power thing was like, I am so tired of all of you people telling me what to do all the time. Mm. Um, I'm going to tell you what to do. Um, And every chance I got to kind of exert that because there weren't healthy outlets for me to do it growing up. I just had to take it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there were times where I did, you know, I would stand up to a teacher and to the death and then go to detention and I didn't care. Um, And so that it was the lust for power. It was... It was you're dominating yourself over me, not because you're you're good, right. or because you're you're righteous, just because you get to, and yeah. that's not okay with mm-hmm. me. Yeah. So I fought that for like a really long time. Mm. How about you? Yeah, I mean, just hyper focus, um, which is funny because. So you don't like, see lust in a sexual way for you either. No, mm. uh, by the grace of God, I've I've had plenty of unhealthy seven stuff. My my story is one that involves addiction. Fortunately, sexual addiction wasn't a part of that, mm. um, but. Yeah, just just being being locked in, like to where n- n- everything else just sort of th- there's no priority list. There's one thing, <laughs> like there's one priority. That's it. And, uh, and so I, I mean, I gave the example of bass fishing. Other things have done that in the past. Um, and then you know, like most recent example I could think of is our our beagle passed away uh, of our family dog of eleven years. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a bigger dog, so I like locked in to like researching breeds and looking up breeders. And I wanted this chocolate lab, and I wanted it to be English type, and blah blah blah. And my my wife the whole time was like, "I don't want a dog. We shouldn't get a dog. This is a really bad decision." And I, it, it literally didn't matter. I actually like I, I preached at, at Hunter Park a couple years ago, and I confessed that before we we'd already put down mm-hmm. the deposit. That dog is a little over a year old, and 
I love you Snickers, but man, like I wish I hadn't bought that dog, mm. you know? And so, I mean, we're going to, we're going to keep him. He'll settle down eventually or whatever. Like God will redeem dog that poor decision. Settle down. Um, right. But, uh, but I was, I was, it didn't matter. Like I was going after what I didn't have, yeah. you know? Um, cause I wanted it, Yeah. you know? So, um, yeah. yeah. Okay. We've got a couple of questions from ladies asking about being an eight before we get into those specific ones. Melody, can you just set some context for us for what that is like? Yeah, um, it's hard enough to be a female eight in general. It's even harder to be a female eight like in the church. Um, when we first did the Enneagram training, we had the counselors come out with our staff and I asked them, I said, what do you tell female eights in the church? And they said, sometimes we tell them to leave, hmm. um, which the first church where Adam and I were on staff, that's eventually what we had to do. Mm. There was no space for me. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't want to sit around and knit hats. Not that there's anything wrong with mm. knitting hats. I don't want to sit around and cross stitch. Again, not that there's anything wrong with that. But as we've talked about the eight, I want to go. I want to do. I want to make something better. I want to create something. Um, so if you're not in a place um, where you can excel in that, um, you're perceived. You can be perceived as a as a B. Mm -hmm. A guy can do. A guy and a girl can do the same exact thing. And if he's a, and because he's a guy, you're strong and decisive and you do it as a woman, you're a bee and you're vindictive. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're always you're always trying to kind of balance out, like I'm trying to be strong, but not, not too strong. Um, thankfully, I love being here because after we had that session, you came over to me and you said, I love you, even though you're mm -hmm. an eight hole. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was this sense of, I'm not intimidated by your strength. Mm. Um, and let me just say um, to any single female eights out there, the best advice I could give you is, to look for the guy who's intrigued by your strength and mm. not intimidated by it. Mm -hmm. Because that's a marriage that- You can will, ring your own bell right now if you want to. <laughs> that's a marriage that will succeed because he's. you don't have to shrink back for him to be all that he wants to be. Mm. You, you believe that there is space in your marriage for two callings. And so you're going to do whatever you have to do to steward both of those. So it's definitely challenging. Um, but being here has been awesome because I feel like I'm- I'm being able to grow into the best version of myself. Yeah. So thank you. All right, let me ask you, this comes from Morgan. As a woman who really resonates with the characteristics of an eight, both healthy and unhealthy, I find that I can struggle relationally with other eights, especially other women who are eight. Is this something that other eights feel too? How can we work on this? Well, when you read about the eight, um, they talk a lot about um, leaning into vulnerability. Mm. And one of the best resources that I discovered a few years ago was um, Brene Brown, who writes all about empathy and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I was drawn to her because she's a woman who's extremely strong. Mm. She's extremely intelligent. And as she talked about vulnerability, what I realized was that's not a weakness. So f the eight detests weakness. Mm -hmm. Totally. They can sniff it. They detest it. They don't ever want to appear as weak. So I feel like the way God keeps me humble is he gave me the spiritual gift of tears. Mm. Before we started, I said, don't make fun of me if I cry today mm. um, because you don't want to be perceived as weak. Mm. And so where I think female eights interacting um, need to, to kind of lean into is how can I be vulnerable with you um, and, and learn to accept you for who you are. This is, this is who I am. Um, and so I would say that most female eights will have a small circle of good friends because of how much they value trust um, and because sometimes they can be a lot for other personality types to handle. But as you interact with other female eights, it is so important that we say to each other, I've got your back. 
like women more than ever before are showing what they can accomplish if they put away caddy comparison competition insecurity they're showing that when we band together we are so much stronger and we can bring difference and justice into the world and so i think you just need to look at each other and say i value you i value what you're good at i value what you bring to the table and let's go let's go kick together yeah 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 yeah, absolutely good i actually think i I know who morgan is so i'm cheating a little bit here but um because we had a conversation about eightness um, but I would especially just your comment about tears, I would especially say embracing the emotion of sadness. Mm. Um, and because, because eights, when they're, when they're strong and they're healthy, they look a lot like a two mm-hmm. who are, who are helpers and care deeply and love deeply. And so one of my favorite, uh, metaphors for this brilliant movie from an emotional vulnerability standpoint, if you haven't seen it, you need to inside out. It's a mm-hmm. Pixar flick a few years ago. And, uh, what a lot of people don't realize as sort of the, the light motif there is that when the headquarters are falling all apart in this, this 10-year-old girl's mind, and, and it's joy is sort of at the helm, um, she, 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 there's this one moment where sadness, uh, she, she, she's getting in the way. And she goes over here and she draws a circle and she says, I need you to stay right here, like out of the way. Mm. But the brilliant part of the movie, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, uh, is that it's actually sadness that leads them back to headquarters when they're displaced. Mm. And it's, it's this idea that we need sadness. To be human is to embrace grief Mm. and the eight especially when they can get in touch with that it activates the mercy showing it activates the compassion it it activates that that sort of two two-ness that can come out in them and so i think same thing uh particularly women who you can be safe to to be sad with to even be sad for Mm -hmm. or beside uh going that direction so that's interesting so you're an eight wing seven Mm -hmm. so last week we had a a seven wing eight Mm -hmm. and he talked about the same movie Uh Mm -hmm. and he actually quoted the exact same scene. Wow. So, yeah. For different reasons. I have a lot of four, too. So I yeah. feel a lot. Uh, Pastor Andrew Bogenreich. Do you want uh, me to draw a circle and put you in it? Yeah, no, no, no. That's okay. <laughs> no, because I'd be telling you what to do. Yeah, yeah he's, he's told me once, he said, you're really aware of your feelings. You just don't feel your feelings. And I was like, ding. You know, you, yeah, you got yeah. me on that. Like, I'm yeah. as a four. Well, that's the curse of the instinct, though. Yeah. 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 Mm. Okay, here's this other question. Amanda says, as a woman, how can I honor the role of my husband as a leader of our home and still leave room for being how I was designed mm. as an eight? Mm. Yeah, that's challenging. I think... Yeah, especially um, if you're an eight. Yeah. Well, I'm happily married for almost 18 years. Um, and again, I'm married to someone who's never been intimidated by my strength, um, intrigued by it. And so um, he is a steward of the calling that he sees that God's placed on my life. And so I've never felt like I ha- I've had to shrink back in order for him to succeed. And that's really where I think the enemy wants to divide a couple by making one think that what they're doing is more important than another just because another one has different gifting. Um, and so I-, I would say to any woman who feels like they've got strong inside of a marriage, um, be strong um, and and but also welcome a difference of opinion. I I rely on the wisdom of my husband more than anyone else. Um, he was on the show a couple weeks ago. He's a five. He has incredible wisdom and discernment. Um, he also has a high eight. So when we fight, we yeah, fight. On, yeah. We fight. But there is a, such a mutual respect that we have for each other. Um, he's not dominating or controlling. Um, I try not to be nagging and here's what you should do. But another, but what we try to do is see the gifts that each other brings into the marriage and go, this is a real partnership. Our marriage and our home is going to be successful. Mm. If we learn to defer to where you're strong, 
um, if we learn how to lead together, if we learn how to say, I love who God has made you to be, and I'm here to come alongside of you and help you be the best version of yourself that you can be. May I never be a hindrance to what God's doing in your life. Yeah, amen. I think, you know, um, man, I think I think that, you know, marriage is hard, life is hard. Uh, I think life is extraordinarily hard for women who are AIDS. I just think we just need to say that. We need to have a lot of grace for them uh, as they figure this out. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we live in a culture that's really, really struggling to produce men. So um, I have a daughter who's an AIDS, and I think it's really, really hard for her with prospective husbands because we're not raising strong men. We've spent the last, I don't know, 40, 50 years, rightfully so, women's rights, women movement, equal pay, all of those things are important, but we've created a vision for women at the expense of men. And here's a just a Christian principle. You can never be lifted up by putting someone else down. So so that's the that's the problem I feel like in our society is in order to elevate, we ha- we have to de- you know devalue someone else, and that's just sin and brokenness. And so the beauty of uh, being a woman that's an eight is you need to, to to be drawn to a man who doesn't see himself rising as you descend. Yeah. And he, he you you want to see a you want to uh, date a guy that like what did you say that is um, intrigued intrigued, intrigued by, your by your strength and and your power and you know my mom is a fighter and I you know I don't know how much eight she has. But I knew that I needed a woman, uh, both the girls that I dated very seriously, um, both uh, previously to Tammy and Tammy were very, very strong-minded women. Um, and I loved that about them. I, I don't like pushovers or, and part of that's because I know that I need that check, Yeah. you know, because um, I can, not with everyone, but with most people, I can win an argument. I've done some reading. I'm pretty good with my words. And that's not good. Right. right. It's not good if you always win an argument. I mean, sometimes, you know, you need to, you know, you, you just really, really need to hear the perspective of your wife. And so so what I would just say is we need to have grace for them. But also, you know, we need to understand what spiritual leadership is. And so Christ, right, uh, Paul Paul points to Christ as, as the picture of that. So he says, submit uh, to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Submission starts with Jesus. Mm. And so so pick a man that starts with Jesus. So he's on his knees with Jesus. Then, right, that's the man that you can submit to and follow. Um, then what does that man do? He dies for you as Christ died for the church. You know, why is Sandals Church in Riverside? Because Tammy said that's where it needed to be. I didn't need to pray about it. I wanted to plant a church. I felt led to plant a church. Tammy said, Riverside, I'm not moving away from my family. There we go. It's Riverside. There's no there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So I can operate, you know, it, here, here's what I try to do. Anytime I can submit to Tammy, I try to do it because that's what spiritual, spiritual leadership does, you know? And I've just learned, I watch my dad, he's seven years old and he struggles with it way more than I do. Um, you know, I just, I just what, you, anytime I can say your choice, your choice, that's a thing. And only two times, ladies, two times in 21 years of marriage have I pulled the submission card. Two times. And one time in particular, it was to, to a decision we had agreed on. We had agreed to take somebody into our home. We had prayed about it and God said, do it. We did it. <laughs> it was hard. It was really, really hard. And my wife was done. She's, I'm done. This person needs to be out of here. This is over. And I said, no, we prayed. God said, but what's important is we, 
we enter the decision together. My job as the spiritual leader is to remind us of the decision we made. That's where I think spiritual leadership is. I think a lot of people view spiritual leadership as like this maverick and you're out on your own discerning mm-hmm. God's will. Remember the old sticks, you know, where you're out looking for water, divining you know, and, and the family's just following you into the wilderness. It's like, no, like we need all of our heads together. We need working together. The man's job is to remind the family of the decision that God led the family to. Here's what we're called to do. And, and then vice versa, sometimes I think it's also the wife's job to remind the husband of those things. So I think submission is, it's a beautiful thing, but it's something I think when you're operating in health, that's very rarely used. I mean, I can't stress that enough. Yep. Mm. Anyone in marriage that's throwing the word submission around is an unhealthy marriage. It yep. just is. And so, um, you know, my wife's a six, so I got to be secure, trustworthy, and a truth teller which none of those are easy for me, yeah. <laughs> right? Okay, so I've got to be all three of those things so that, um, you know, my wife trusts me, you know? And so so just know that as an eight, and, and the other thing as an eight is you're going to feel like you know everything, okay? My wife's a strong woman and she tends to feel like she knows everything. So we had a discussion about finances and retirement, Um you know, and she said, what did she say? She said, what percentage of the vote do I get in this? That's what she asked me, right? <laughs> And I said, well, probably 49, 49, 51. And so that didn't go real well. So I, so I invited her, I invited her to the meeting um, with our retirement planner. And she said, please don't ever take to me to that again. Right. Because planning for retirement and death involves scary things. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> She's I'd rather, say, I just say, yeah. just, yeah, you just handle all of that. You know, that just really wears her down. And so, but, but I need, I need to not just say I'm the man I do. Okay. You want to be a part of this? And then, oh, see, this is why I didn't invite you because I knew you would freak out as we're talking about our impending death, which is going to happen. Yeah. Um, so just just be very, very careful. But as a woman, you know, be, be drawn to men that are not threatened by you. So a threatened leader is a weak leader, okay? Mm-hmm. Melody was a little slow on the ring. Hey, I a was threatened leader is a weak leader. Yeah. So... Um, again, why is Sandals amazing? We have strong, amazing leaders who are talented. I am not threatened by that. If you want to look at any area in our church that's struggling, there's a threatened leader. Every single time, they're trying to keep people in place. They're trying to make sure everybody that operates according to rank and and everybody knows that I'm the decision maker. Every single area of ministry, it's always a threatened leader. And that's not good. Um, And let me just say this. If you are a leader and you are an eight, I just had to have this conversation uh, with one of our, our key leaders at our church. You know, Sandals has grown 3,000 people in a year. It's crazy. In, in, in one year, we grew by 3,000 people. Um, that's, a, that's a mega church. We gave birth to a mega church. Um, and, and so what that growth requires is that we all grow. Now, here's the thing. Every single leader at Sandals is making a decision to grow or to get off the bus. Growth is painful. Do you guys, my son is growing. Your son is, he's been growing since the day he was born. Her son is Goliath. My son is David. That means your son wins. Crap. I don't don't think so. Um, Yeah. Uh, So, uh, man, you know, but growing hurts. It's hard. Um, I've had hard conversations with all three of you of, and what what I've had to learn to do is how, how to sell that. Like, here's where we're going. And, you know, to say, look, growth is hard but it's a choice. You can go to the next level, right? So my job is to, to accurately identify ability. You can go to the next level if you'll do the work. Yeah. If you'll do the work. And a lot of people at Sandals, this is what they don't realize. You know, your husband said this so eloquently. People just assume they can get a job at Sandals Church. And it's like, Sandals is 
one of the rarest things on earth. The, the, we're like a unicorn church. There's like 50 other churches like us in the world. It takes very, very special people, amazingly talented people who want to work for a lot less money to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. Yep. So, and we all have to keep growing. And, and if you don't grow, you're in the way. So just as an eight, no, you're gonna get to a point where even you have to grow. Because nobody, right? What, what did somebody say? I, somebody told me the other day, I've worked very, very hard to be 46. Mm. And they were speaking to a 22-year-old. So please listen to me. And so, you know, I've worked very, very hard to be 46. She was the same age as me. It was another female leader that said that to me. And I've worked very, very hard to grow this church to where it is. And I have to have these conversations with eights. Yeah. If we do this the way you were raised and what you know, we're going to shrink by about 10,000. If you listen to me and follow me, we're going we're gonna to move forward and, uh, and, and we're going to do this. But you got you to gotta follow a leader you trust. And, and I can't say how important that is. Uh, follow somebody that's growing, learning, and stretching and is willing to listen that they blew it. So, okay. Yep. She, I think she needs to comment to this gal too. Sorry, I talk forever. She probably yeah. can't even remember the question. Are you? Yeah, I would just, I would just say it's, it's really a question about the eightness in marriage. And I, my wife's not an eight, but um, she's pretty strong. She, she is. She's That's the lady. point. That's the point. She's sweet and bubbly and curly. What does she say about Oklahoma? Oklahoma? They grow them tough there. Or what does she say? She yeah. says something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but she'll, um, she probably doesn't feel like she does this, but. Uh, she stands up to me like she's stubborn enough to to not let me just have my way, right? Mm -hmm. And we've learned how to how to work that. I mean, I, I appreciate strength. Yeah. And w women, men, like regardless. Um. So yeah, I mean, I, I think another thing too. Um. That, that that this reminds me of. I mean, power is a big deal for the eights. Um. Sort of my my new addiction, if you will, is distributing power. Right. Empowering others. Amen. Um, but that's a healthy leader. That's a sign of a healthy leader. Yeah, and and but what happened? What had to happen for me? This is about a year, year and a half in the first, the launch of East Valley was was really strenuous. Um, oh, I yes. didn't have a full team, and uh, and you know I was ch charging hard because there was a lot on the line for our church. It was our first uh, merger with another church. You know we hadn't we hadn't launched a campus in three years. It's like everybody's looking at this yeah. to see if it's successful. I bore a lot of that weight. Charging hard, uh, about a year and a half in, I had a, Thursday morning randomly had a had a essentially a, an emotional breakdown, mm. like a panic attack. I'm sorry. And uh, and so out of that, um, I had to I had to slow way down. And my commitment in 2017, last year, um, was to take a backseat, to empower others, to 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 promote others, to um, to not have to be the face. Uh, and and East Valley, we just realized this uh, at a staff planning meeting today. Um, since its beginning, we've grown forty-two percent in two years. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, it's it's unbelievable. And so, uh, if if that were just about my power and my will and my force, um, we we'd be back where we were two years ago. You know. Yeah. So, this is what I love to tell our team, just as it relates to that. Um, when it comes to what we're doing, we're not asking people to help. We are empowering people to serve. Right. You get all of a sudden you go from I can't get anyone to come to I've got more than enough. Because, you know, in our eightness, we, we want to charge the hill. But man, how exciting is it to get people to charge the hill with you? I mean, one of the reasons why, you know, I love following you, Matt, and Dan Zimbardi is because you're looking at the next hill mm -hmm. and how are we going to do it? And we're like, yeah, how are we going to do yeah. it? You know, that's that gets people excited. Um, and that's where you get every personality style. Like, I'm going to bring my giftedness with environments. I'm going to bring my giftedness with hospitality. I'm going to bring my giftedness with people. And you, there's a place for you and you empower people to serve. And all of a sudden, you're you're standing back and you're going, look at, look at the team. 
Like, mm. look how awesome it is. I'm not over here dead on the sideline. Um, right. I'm being filled with joy watching you do what God's made you to do. Mm. That's like such a healthy, healthy way, I think, to, to kind of build a team and keep a team going mm. for sure. One of my favorite things, you know, in my role, I get to travel around to a lot of our campuses on the weekends. One of my favorite things about Adam, just even because I've seen you campus pastor a lot, is when I come out to East Valley, the thing that I expect to see is like you sitting on the curb off towards around the backside of the building or sitting down with a stool in some of the you know, one of the rooms, like leading through individual relationships and really being, um, it almost comes back to the thing that we're talking about at the very beginning, championing other people and coming along those sides. And that feels like one of the mm. things that you've done to grow. Um, yeah, that's been, just been a good part of your leadership. I love seeing that out there. Thanks. Let me ask you guys this question, and, and we'll kind of use this to close out. What does it look like to pursue being a healthy eight, but really specifically in your in your relationship with God? Mm. How do you be a challenger, um, but follow God mm. in the call that he's got for your life and this vision of being real? with ourselves, God, and others? I'll start, I think, in the depths of my sin, in my mid-30s, I found myself challenging God, mm-hmm. challenging um, his, he, I felt like he wasn't answering my prayers, challenging what he hadn't done in, in uh, my church, challenging, um, I mean, just multiple, multiple levels. And uh, I mean, with force, with yelling, I remember one time in particular, I had a white pickup truck at the time, banging my fist as hard as I could against the seats, shouting to God, I don't know why you don't hear me. And just realizing who am I to challenge the almighty God? Like just just not realizing how immersed in my pride I was at that time and how uh, unhealthy it was. And I think we live in a culture where people just attack God in their pride with who who are you? And I, you know, at the time, to be honest with you, I don't know I'd ever read through Job. Mm. I don't know that That's I'd ever- read through Job and, you know, you get to that tongue lashing of the last four chapters, you know, where it's just like, who are you? And, and just saying, okay, God, and just, just literally, literally. So my eight has to bow before the Lord at every time, at every corner, at every demand. It is not my will, but yours be done. And the eight's will is strong. It is strong. And the more that God elevates you, the more sin pulls at you. That's the reality, and that's what I don't think a lot of young pastors and young uh, Christian leaders understand, that the the higher the elevation, the greater the pull of hell. And um, you just have to just be continually humble. You know, we had the the ordination service a couple weeks ago, and, um, you know, that passage, Paul's speaking to elders that are being appointed, but then he speaks to young men, and he says, be humble in due time. God will lift you up for God opposes the proud. He's speaking to Christian leaders. Mm -hmm. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And um, when I see leaders fall, it is almost always pride. It's just pride in some area of their life. And just because you're an eight doesn't mean you don't struggle with pride. It's just going to look different. It's going to man, it's going to manifest itself in a lust for power. And, um, right. Um, uh, I, you know, again, I'm going to quote Tolkien again, but you know, when the white wizard uh, in the second book, the two towers uh, aligns himself with Sauron, he says, Sauron does not share power. You are deceived. And I think we need to remember that with God. Like there is not, there is no revolution in heaven. God alone is almighty. I mean, right. There was a quick fight. God spoke and it was over. <laughs> <Right>. So, <laughs> you know, good job, Satan. You guys all got dressed up for nothing. Um, <laughs> You know, and um, 
I mean, that's who God is. You know, I remind myself uh, years ago, um, I, I, I commissioned an artist. He, he never finished the project, but I commissioned an artist to, to paint me a painting of the angel um, in Revelation that's sent to chain the devil. Mm. I still to this day want to see that painting of what that freaking angel looks like mm. because he was made for a purpose. Mm. Think about how powerful you are when you put the, you cuff the devil. And I, there's not any mention of a struggle, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just, you know, and that's who God is. You know, God is in the Bible, right? He is he's the God of heaven's armies. How dare you, right? He's, that's who he is. And um, I need to remind myself of that, that Sandals is his church, that it is, it, it's going to operate according to his will. And I am unimportant in the fulfillment of what God is doing. I'm, inv- I'm an invited participant, but I'm unimportant. And um, I think when you think you're the shiz biz, that's when God moves on to another show. Yeah. So. Yeah. I-, I think it's a recognition of where true power comes from. Whatever power I have, whatever ability I have, like it, it is granted to me by mm-hmm. grace. Uh, one of the struggles I've had, we, I think we all, regardless of Enneagram type or style, um, we wonder like why, like with the brokenness, like why me? Like, and for me, that that has more to do with my seven, but why it relates to my eight? I, I, why why was I an addict? Right? Why did I have to waste ten years of my life? Why why did you know? And and it finally dawned on me, God used my addiction to remind me that there are things more powerful than me, mm. right? And and mm. ironically, maybe laughingly, mm. um, it's it's a leaf. Right, yeah. like yeah. marijuana or a nicotine, tobacco, right? Tobacco leaf. Yeah. Um, these addictions that I've struggled with, like these, can control me. A leaf, like uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, not the tree. Uh, not, the like, leaf. like God, God beats yeah. me with this little leaf to remind me of yeah. how powerless I am, um, and how in need of His power I am. If I'm going to conquer just a leaf, let alone take the hill for the kingdom, right? Yes. And so, um, and so, yeah, it's it's. I think humility in, is a lot of it, um, and. Uh, I think it's it's also just emotional vulnerability before God as well, like mm-hmm. that that embracing of sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also haven't talked a lot about this, so we don't have time to get into it. But the thing that undid me um, when realizing I was an eight was the the guilt that that's beneath the gut triad, the eight, nine, and the one. And so I, I think I'm constantly sorting through what's true guilt. What have I actually done wrong? Right. Where have I crossed a moral line and what's false guilt? Because there's a lot of yeah. that that gets piled on by our enemy, um, by our own our own stuff. And so I'm constantly coming back to Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like I'm guiltless. I'm yeah. guilt-free. I'm, I'm already pure and blameless yeah. in his sight and I can be free in that way. So those are kind of my real with God pieces. Mm. That's good. I am. Um, I think, church. yeah, I think I spent a lot of years... Um, experiencing confusion and frustration with who I was. And there was some anger, you know, at God, because I would look at other women and think, if I was over there, I could do that. Hmm. Um, and so there was there was a season in which um, I had to take a step back from ministry because I was so wounded hmm. by things that had been said about me and, and done to me. Hmm. And, and in that season of just... Um, just kind of being away by myself, God drew me to the scriptures. And from the beginning of the Old Testament, we went through and he showed me Miriam who prophesied and he showed me Deborah mm. who he places a judge. And he showed me Esther who saved the entire Jewish population. 
and he showed me that when he rose from the grave, the first people he entrusted the good news of the gospel with were women. And he showed me the women that funded and supported Paul's ministry. And throughout scripture, what he confirmed in my heart is, Melody, you are not a mistake. You are a masterpiece. Mm. But I need you to surrender your ideas for my will. Mm. And that's where I need you to be. So if you'll lay down all of your ideas and all of your butt and just kind of be still before me, mm. I will use you, but it's going to require you to surrender. And that's that's the sweetness of surrender because you're 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 before God. Mm. You're in tears and you're saying I want to do whatever it is you want me to do. Take me wherever you want to take me. Do with my life whatever you want to do with my life. All that I am, I give to you and say have your way. Um and I think that's where we realize um, our true power is when we say we are completely dependent on the power of God to do anything of worth, mm-hmm. you know, for the kingdom of God. Man, that was a lot of good stuff. Um, thank you guys for sharing with us about being eights. You uh, also were very um, friendly to let me just guide all the questions. You didn't <laughs> submit your own. We we'll punch, we'll punch you later. Exactly. Exactly. You know, the number one thing, you, you, once you tweet the bell, people don't know this. You got to. You got to ding it, but then you got to quickly silence it for the people at home. Oh. But I just was trying to submit to you guys and really let you. I didn't want. I didn't want to fight with either one of you guys by not showing them how to do it at the end. Well, I could. I didn't want to. Mm. I didn't want to. I just okay, was trying, okay, to, no, I'm just, trying uh, to put some control yeah. over there. Yeah, you, I think you've clearly established who's in control. Thank you. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Thanks for, Thanks having for being us. on the show. Thank you. Yep. Thank you.